Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. So, welcome. Um, it is good to be with you and the privilege to get to share the Word of God. Uh, I don't know about you, but man, I want to I just encourage you to keep those, well, those three words. You are good, you are good, you are good. Just keep that resonating through your mind today as we talk about um, the text in overcoming and overcoming and realize this promise of God cannot be broken. He is good. Doesn't matter what. What else happens, whatever comes and goes, God is good. And I know you're supposed to say, you're good church people, right? God is good. You're supposed to say, all the time and all the time, God is good. All right, so we'll work on that. Um, again, my name is Nathan, and um, I want to just get us started. If you would pray with me, pray for me, um, and then I will, I promise to not be here all day today. I'm really working on uh, being succinct, getting it done. Father, uh, just uh, thank you for this place. <clears throat> thank you for these, these people, God, that you have brought through these doors today. Yeah, there is nothing that is an accident in your kingdom. Um, everything, every move we make, Father, is, is ordained by you. And so we just uh, pray today, Father, I pray for myself that you would give me your words. Lord, that your spirit would speak, that your spirit would accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish today, Father. Use me, I pray. In Christ's mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, let me start by asking you a question. Um, and we'll talk about where we're going today. But have you ever been in a situation where you knew the right thing to do and failed to do so? Okay. I see a lot of heads nodding. People saying yes. I can remember, uh, for me, I think it was first or second grade, I was transferred into a new uh, elementary school. And wanting to be the popular kid, trying to get my feet under me, you know, improve myself. Uh, there was this larger child, larger smelly child, who um, just kind of stood out, okay? And, and instead of, of course, instead of doing the right thing, um, I thought I could incite some people against the larger smelly kid, thus making myself a little bit higher on the totem pole. Because then at least I wasn't the smelly kid, right? So I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed <clears throat> to admit um, that I came up for a nickname for this child and proceeded to lead the, the recess line as we waited to go back into the doors of the building, proceeded to lead the recess line in a chant that was anything but uplifting to this one kid, Okay. And I look around the crowd, and I begin to see my popularity growing, right? Other people begin to chant along. It rhymed. It, it made sense. And poor Craig, um, in the meanwhile, just stood there, okay? Well, as I am uh, looking around and seeing my popularity uh, growing, the next thing I know is I'm on the ground seeing stars, Turns out that Craig moved a lot faster than he looked like he moved <laughs> for a big smelly boy, okay? So when I'm looking at this, enjoying my 
reputation, I ended up on the ground, and, and shortly thereafter, some phone calls to parents were made, and I learned a valuable lesson that day. Of course, the weight of our decisions seems to increase exponentially the older we get. Um, I know, for example, you can't do 65, 75 in a school zone, or you lose your driver's license. Okay? I know in my own family, seeing the consequences of choosing to experiment with drugs. All we have to do is read headlines to see how this plays out in our world around us. Think about the recent, if you're a Volkswagen driver, any Volkswagen drivers in here? Former Volkswagen drivers in here? <laughs> okay. Our $30 billion payout this company is going through right now because of one choice that was made to cheat a little line of, of computer programming to make the vehicles look better in emissions tests than they actually were. Our choices have consequences. We all know that. Deuteronomy 30 spells it out pretty clearly. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And then God goes on to say, Now choose life so that you and your children may live. We are to choose the way of life. Put it another way, we are called to be overcomers. When faced with life or death, we are, we are called to overcome these situations and to make the right choices. So this is part three um, today in this series on overcoming. I know three weeks ago, I think it was, we looked at overcoming by obeying God's commands. We overcome when we obey. Last week, talking about uh, relying on God's strength, we overcome when we rely on God's strength. Today, then, I want to talk about standing for God's principles. Being an overcomer by standing for God's principles. Let me back up real quick. I like to always give the, the high-level, um, kind of the historical context when we get into the Old Testament. As you know, God's people are, are chosen and called out, okay? They've been led into Egypt they live for 400 years in Egypt, but Moses delivers them, okay? So you should be familiar with these stories um, to understand where Elijah fits in. If you're not familiar with these stories, that's why we're bringing it back up. So Moses leads them, okay? The Jews enter the promised land after they've left the Exodus. And we're probably familiar with those movies, you know, the, the Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, right? Joshua takes over as leader, does a great job, but then within one generation, the Israelites have fallen away from God again. So God gives them judges, these leaders to rule over them, to, to defeat their enemies, okay? And you see this cycle of judges in the scriptures, the good, the bad. But God delivers them from their enemies and says throughout this cycle, come back to me, you will be blessed. Don't follow me, you will be cursed. Choose life, choose death, blessings, curses, right? This pattern plays out again and again and again throughout scripture. So God gives judges, and the judges season comes and go, and then God gets to a point, well, actually the Israelites get to a point where they say to God, we don't want to do this thing anymore. We want to have a king over us like everyone else. First Samuel 8 tells the story uh, where, where the Israelites say to God, the perfect king, they say, we don't want you as king. We want to be like everyone else. So God gives them the kingdom. He allows it, right? And he says, give them what they want. So, so God gives them the kingdom, and, and we see these three first kings of the nation of Israel. You have King Saul, 
who uh, really wasn't a great king when it's said and done. And after him, you see King David come in. We're, we're probably familiar with David, at least, and, and know of the stories of David, who, again, was not a perfect example of following God, but a better king than Saul. After David, you have Solomon, who takes over the kingdom. Solomon starts well. He prays for wisdom. God gives him wisdom. But towards the end of Solomon's life, you see the kingdom begin to slip away because of some of his decisions that are made. Choose life, choose death. And Solomon begins to move against and away from the things of God. So then the kingdom splits in two. You have this great united nation of Israel that is cut in half through civil war, through fighting. You have a northern kingdom now and a southern kingdom. During this era of history, God is going to rise up some good kings and some bad kings. Throughout it all, God's call is follow me. Stand for what's right. Stand for what's right. But the kings often are wicked and evil, and they fall away. So God calls out this special group of people, I don't know if I would have wanted this job description, of prophets. And the prophet's role is to speak, to walk into the Oval Office, okay, and to declare God's way and truth. Often to people who don't give a rip, or will kill you on the spot for declaring those things. So that's the context we're building, and in that context, we're going to fast forward and talk about one king and one prophet, okay? And this is where we pick up today's story. Ahab is the king. He's the seventh king of Israel. He reigns for 22 years. The Bible tells us this in 1 Kings 16, and if you want to cruise through with me today, we're in 1 Kings um, 16, 17, a little bit 18, 19. We're going to skim through a few stories of uh, Ahab, Elijah, and uh, his interaction there. So Ahab, this king, 1 Kings 16, 30 says, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king before him. Not a good man, okay? Remember, God has called Elijah now to come into that context and to speak God's truth. And God promises his people, when you follow me, there's blessings. So Elijah now has the job to go into the king's presence and say, King Ahab, you're wrong. You've turned away from God. Let me, let me tell you what the truth is, and I'm going to encourage you to preach the truth. Oh, by the way, Ahab marries this incredibly godless woman named Jezebel. Okay, you've probably heard culturally when we call people a Jezebel, it's not usually a compliment. Okay. So he marries this woman who decides it's going to be her life mission to kill any prophet who stands for what is right. Okay? Are you getting the story now? Are we in the context? We've got Ahab, we've got Jezebel, and then you've got this poor guy, Elijah, whose job it is to go to the king and to stand up for what is right. And that is where we start to pick up this story. Today we're going to take a closer look at standing for God by studying three scenes from the life of Elijah. Okay, scene number one. I'm in 1 Kings chapter 17, if you want to follow along. Remember, God is sending Elijah to confront Ahab for the sins of his ways. 1 Kings 17, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So a couple of pieces in, in scene one I want to look at and as we talk about this standing for God principle. How do we overcome by standing for God? Yes, it sounds great, but how do we really do it? Is it really that easy? And, and I'm sorry, but fast forward a little bit, the answer is no. Okay? It's, it's not always going to be a rosy, easy walk. But it still is our call, and God will equip us through that. Number one, Elijah confronts Ahab's godlessness and evil. He walks into the king's presence, knowing what is very much in store for him, very likely in store for him. And he tells him, you kind of have to read between the lines here, he basically pronounces a death sentence to Ahab. He says, there's going to be no rain until I say it's going to rain again. Now, this is an agricultural society, right? So where do they get their food? How do they feed their crops, or, or their, their, uh, their livestock, rather? It's, it's agriculturally based. So he walks in the king's presence and, and says, I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to shut down your economy, your provisions. Everything is going to come to a halt. In essence, until you repent. Okay? Being an overcomer cannot happen unless we are willing to step into action. And at times, step into the king's presence and say, this is wrong, and God is going to bring what is right. Or God is going to punish this until you repent. Elijah knew that full well, but he stepped into that role to stand for God's principles. You ever see that, um, I think it's ABC series, is it Lester Holt, the, uh, the What Would You Do? I've seen those, i watched those, and, and I enjoy watching those from time to time because you, obviously they're, they're blind taping people, hidden camera shows where he'll walk into a scene and he'll set up a stage where these people have to do some incredibly obnoxious thing or culturally uncouth thing. And, and the whole point of the show is looking at these other people. Will you do what is right? What would you do is the premise. And more often than not, unfortunately, you see people who shy away. Say, ah, we're just not going to go there. Not my job. Occasionally, there's somebody who rises up and says, no, this is wrong. So Elijah, and listen, he's, he's, the, he's the one, he's the hero, because he rises up and says, I'm going to address this. Secondly, uh, verse 2, you see the word of the Lord come to Elijah. So we, we know that in this relationship, trying to follow after God and stand for what's right, we know that those who overcome have to know and be convinced of the word of God. He hears the word of the Lord. He knew the voice of God. There's something in here, this training piece that is so essential, and we can't just fast forward through that because that takes time, that takes dedication, that takes intent on our part, surrendering our lives to say, God, I need to hear from you. Being an overcomer is, is contingent upon this relationship with God. Do you know the voice of God intimately? Do we know his instruction his commands. Number three, 
interesting picture here. So, so picture again, Elijah goes into the king's presence. It's not going to rain. Well, guess who else it's not going to rain for? Elijah. Right? I think sometimes we have this rosy picture of like, the Israelites and the plagues is one example where not all of the plagues affected them. And, and God is punishing these people, but not these. But the Bible tells us, you know what? It rains on the just and the unjust at times. Or in this case, it doesn't rain on the just and the unjust. But God provides, right? For those who overcome, God provides. And in miraculous ways, number one, he's laying by this river, so he has a water supply, and, and these birds come up and start bringing him food. I don't know about you, but I've, I've been, we've been in a few seasons where God has miraculously provided. Not by ravens, that would be weird. I'm not sure I would eat that either. But Elijah did. There's, there's meat, there's bread. Morning and evening, God takes care of him. But then you read the story and, it, and the brook dries up, right? What's Elijah going to do? There's no more water. Well, then God moves him. And if you fast forward through the rest of that passage, you see the story of God leads him to go live with this widow. And he says to this widow, hey, as long as I live with you, you're never going to run out of food. You're going to have everything you need. And sure enough, God provides. So there's, there's a lot, even in this first few passage, of God provides for those who overcome. God provides for those who are willing to stand. You have to know the voice of God and be intent on listening. And we have to take action if we are going to be an overcomer. I'll come back to that in a little bit. Second story, then, you, you kind of fast forward here to 1 Kings 18. Now it's been three years. Okay. 1 Kings, sorry. 1 Kings 18.1, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So it's three years now that it has been without rain. I think Brittany alluded a little bit to our season of life. We are, in some ways... In walking this very walk, and, and an irony of Pastor Mike asked me to preach on Elijah. I said, okay. And as I'm reading and preparing the story this week, I'm going, okay. God, I, I get it. We've had some things we have had to address and have called, been called in many ways into the, the king's courts and, and said some tough things, wondering, God, okay, where are you going to provide in this? I trust I'm standing for you, but... Yet I'm not sure I see this. I trust you're going to provide and bring provision. But here's, here's the other piece of it too. 1 Kings 18. Um, these things don't always happen on our timeline. Three years. Man, I wish the story was different. He went into the king's presence and it was done. <laughs> Problem fixed, king repents. But three years later, this is still going on. Okay. Standing for God's principles may not always yield results on our timeline, but God always has a plan in place. So in 1 Kings 18, you see this one verse that stands out to me, Elijah, verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? It's been three years, or longer at least, right? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. And there's this contrast the scripture gives us right here, where Elijah is called and becomes a man of action, but the people, what do they do? It gives us this very clear contrast 
of the heart of the people of Israel. And the verse says this, but the people said nothing. So you have overcoming by stepping into action, by moving and, and doing things that are difficult, or you have the life of the Israelites who made no choice and did nothing. You may be familiar with the next story then. Um, Elijah on Mount Carmel. And here Elijah really, at this point in his life, now it's been three years, he has two big choices to make. Number one, go with the flow, right? Say nothing. You know what, Ahab, I'm sorry, I'm, forget it. Because in looking around, Ahab and Jezebel had priests of their own who were very well taken care of. Everybody else in the land may be starving, but these priests are pretty well taken care of. So choice one for Elijah, shut up, go with the flow, I was wrong, back down. And, and I don't know where this is hitting you in this point in your life, but if you are at that point in your life, let me just pause and encourage you to say, if you are in a place where you know beyond a shadow of doubt the voice of God has called you to go, then don't back down. Okay? Don't, I don't care if you're afraid, worried about God's provision. You can't back down. And Elijah has the choice. Stay where you are, go with the flow, do nothing, say nothing, or, number two, stand up for God. Probably live in a cave, perhaps pay with your life. Um, my life hasn't been incredibly miserable lately. Last weekend, I was out on Colorado River with some friends. Um, we spent our Sunday canoeing about a 35, 40-mile stretch of the Colorado. And uh, <clears throat> there are several points in the river. If any of you have been on the river, you know this. We have the opportunity to either go with the flow or to choose to venture out. So here we were, myself and my two friends. Uh, we were on day three, nearing the end of our trip, and we came to a, a split in the river. Going with the flow would have brought us to our takeout point a little quicker. It had been a few long days canoeing on a, on a pretty slow river, so it, it was a bit of work. We could have gotten there quicker, but we had heard about this, this hike in this canyon, okay, that was accessible from a small tributary away from the flow. And sure enough, as we're canoeing, we came across a split. There's this tiny little tributary over here, and you had to put on the brakes and swing over and start paddling upstream. But we wanted to do it, so we did it. And we got out of our canoes and parked them. After fighting going upstream, we got to this point and, and we parked our canoes there and uh, began this little hike. And we soon came there and we found one of the most amazing, most picturesque portions of this entire canyon and this trip that we had been on. And if, if we had gone with the flow, we would have missed it. It was well worth the effort to stop, to pull out to pull aside, and, and for me, personally, I will remember that scene uh, and the beauty of God's creation there for the rest of my life, seeing this incredible canyon picture that I would have missed by going with the flow. If you look at the story of the Old Testament, you know in Elijah's day that there were false gods everywhere. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy, nearly every high place, every mountaintop, was, was designated as a place to worship these pagan gods, these false gods. 
And what does Elijah do? He does not go with the flow. He chooses to step out. So you read this story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal where where Elijah basically calls this challenge. Let's see whose God is real, right? They build these altars. The prophets of Baal build an altar. Elijah builds the same altar. Except his, he builds a trench around and he soaks it with water. And he pours it over and over. And, and these guys over here, the prophets of Baal, are cutting themselves and crying out to their God, answer us, answer us. And, and the condition is set. Whichever God answers by fire, whichever God sends fire to consume the sacrifice is the true God. And you, if you've read this story, you see this, this moment where Elijah prays to God. He, he says to these guys over here, are you done yet? Are you done trying? He says, now let me try. Let me show you who the real God is. And he prays to God, and God comes, consumes every part of the sacrifice, answers by fire. And I just, I, I can't help but think in, in that moment, in the miraculous power of God, what it must have been like for these people over here to see that. But if Elijah had gone with the flow, they wouldn't have seen that. Now granted, they don't live long after that. <laughs> Because the Bible seems to indicate that they were still unrepentant. And they were slaughtered because of their evil and their wickedness. God meets Elijah in the midst of his journey. I can guarantee you that, much like in in my own story, seeing this canyon and this landmark moment in my life, that for Elijah, this was a landmark moment for him too. Choosing to go against the flow. And seeing the glory of God's moving work there. Here's my question in this, in this story. You look around us today, are there, are there idols in mountaintops in our culture today? Are there idols on mountaintops? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? If you look in a broader context, it is so evident, even in my own life, seeing the way America and her trajectory has changed since largely in the last 10, 20 years. Radical, radical turn of events have occurred. America as a nation is undergoing a radical cultural shift in ideologies. One example that comes to mind, um, we were driving a couple weeks ago somewhere, New Mexico, I think. Notice this, right in the middle of nowhere, New Mexico, notice this huge mosque being built. And... Um, Here's, here's the way I see this played out. Do, would I ever dare say Islam is not the way to God, culturally? Do we ever dare say that? Oh, no, I mean, we, we're intolerant. We're labeled as haters for that. But there is a, a point, too, where as Christians, if we believe what is in here, we have to look and say, you know what, God is the God who just consumed this sacrifice because that was not the right way. Because there's one way not many paths that lead to God. But you better not dare say anything about that in our culture or we're labeled intolerant. Here's what I have written in my notes. I'm going to read this a couple times. Think about this, if it's true or not. Why are we so afraid to stand up for the truth of God in this culture? I believe that American conformity has become our religion. 
rather than the teachings in the Bible. Let me say it one more time. I truly believe that American conformity has become our religion rather than standing up for the principles of God. And as I say that, I myself am faced with that reality. And think about if I were to bear my soul for you today and say, Wait, what is it that I'm doing differently? Well, the reality is there are times, many, many times in my life where I wrestle in angst and say, God, why am I so afraid to stand up? Why? Why am I so afraid to stand up for you? Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? What am I afraid of? And I think those words from Hebrews ring so true for us as a church in this day and age that we must and we are called to consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How do we as a church come together and say, in a culture that is divisive, in a culture that is anything but godly, how do we come together and consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds? Story three, First Kings chapter 19, verse 1. A great miracle has just happened. Prophets of Baal have been uh, slaughtered for their sinfulness. God has shown himself strong, an incredible thing. Elijah stood up and saw this happen, right? It's awesome. First Kings 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. First Kings 19 goes on to say, Elijah at this point feels like he's the only one standing for God. Says, God, what is going on? Sometimes standing for God does not yield the results we anticipated. Sometimes standing for God doesn't happen on our timeline. Sometimes it does not yield the results we anticipated. Okay? And you might get to this part in the story and wonder what it is that God is doing. God, I thought, I thought this was the end of the story, right? Why couldn't you have ended here? He defeats the prophets. He executes Ahab and Jezebel for their wickedness. End of story, problem solved. Elijah is the hero, right? Wouldn't that have been the great way to end the story? But God said no. Instead, now Elijah's hiding in the middle of a desert using a little brush as a shade tree, wondering if he'll even see tomorrow and probably crying out, why God? Followed you. I did what is right. Where is your salvation, God? You yourself may be in this part of the story currently, wondering what God is doing. Hang with me because this part of the story, this next part to me, reveals the real lesson we need to learn in order to be overcomers. I look at it this way. Number, number one, standing up for, for what is right is primary school stuff, okay? You shouldn't bully. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't cheat, steal. This is primary school stuff. But continuing to stand for what is right 
That's the grad school doctoral level stuff. And this is where Elijah is beginning to find himself. God has more to come. And this is, to me, this is where the heart of the story is. Think about this. If Elijah had not been faithful in prayer, if he had not been faithful in following God, if he had gone with the flow, if he had not confronted evil, would God have used Elijah like he did? Almost certainly no. See, we have to remember that God is at all times crafting a larger story. He is teaching Elijah the reality of faithfulness, and it is only in this final phase of his life that God begins to do his greatest work. As we close this this little lesson on Elijah, here's what I want us to look at. Elijah demonstrates throughout his life, throughout his life, throughout his life, that he is willing to follow God and stand for his principles. This is not, nor is it rarely ever, I would say, a one-and-done event. James writes later on to the New Testament believers who are in some ways enduring the, the same cost okay, of following Christ. And he writes to these New Testament believers, he says, Consider it joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything. Elijah, you're not done yet. There's more maturity to come. Elijah, you're not finished yet. (laughs) There's more completeness to come. And Elijah's sitting here going, why God? I'm in the middle of a desert now. And God says, no, I'm crafting a bigger story. Maybe not on your time. but I'm crafting something bigger. And then look at these pieces in Elijah's, as, as we move forward into Elijah's last days. His greatest moments are still to come because he has proven himself faithful. Here's what we know towards the end of Elijah's life. First of all, he will train up and lead the next generation. When you read about Elijah, you also read about his mentoring of Elisha. God said, I'm not done yet, Elijah. And when you read about Elijah, the disciple of Elijah, here's what the Bible tells us. Elisha is going to go on to do twice the works that Elijah ever did. He wasn't done with Elijah yet, right? Even though Elijah was maybe done, God wasn't done with the story because he's taking Elijah still and he says to him, there's going to be even greater things to come out of your story. Without Elijah, there was no Elisha. And God knew that. Secondly, Elijah is going to anoint two new kings who will, in in their time, take over the kingdom and destroy the Jezebel, the Ahab, reign. And God knew that. He, He knew Elijah needed to still do that. There was work to be done. Third, if you read the end of Elijah's story, well, it doesn't end too too bad for him, does it? The guy's miserable in the desert crying out, why God? Next thing you know, God says, you know what, Elijah, now you're done. And he takes him up to heaven 
in this chariot without even dying and says, Elijah, come. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come to me. God had and God has a greater plan. But if Elijah, if we are not faithful in the small things, we may not see the big things to come. I jotted a few notes just to think about how do we make this practical for us in our lives. And here's what I would ask you. Number one, are you okay with allowing God to do what He will in you and through you, even if you don't necessarily see the direct fruit? Will you trust, as Romans 8 says, that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose? Number two, where are the idols perhaps that God has called you to confront? I would ask you just to to prayerfully consider that today. And it doesn't have to be this huge, high-scale thing. Maybe for some it's, it's confronting coarse joking and language that is surrounding you. Maybe it's Uh, attitudes that you're called to address and to speak into that. Maybe it's a little thing like that. Maybe, Maybe you're called to address something larger like poverty or racism or injustice. And for you, that's the battle that God is preparing. Maybe it's even bigger than that and God is calling you to a new country, a new season in life, or a new calling altogether. Where are the idols that God is calling you to confront? Where has he placed you to stand up for what is right and to be an overcomer? Third, what is the state of your own cultural radar? Is your religion the American norm, the politically correct, the tolerance of the masses, or are we truly being shaped by the teachings of the Bible? Here's what I want you to think. The next time you see something wrong or against God, I want you to ask the question, WWED. Okay. What would Elijah do? Put yourself in his shoes. What would Elijah do here? Fourth, will you be willing like Elijah to step up and to fight and to go against the flow? Or will you hide it under a bushel? Okay, one person got it, thank you. Will you hide it under a bushel? No. I even made that rhyme for you. Let's try one more time. Will you step up and fight and go against the flow? Or will you hide it under the bushel? No. It's a little better. All right. Next piece. Perhaps you're here and you've never dared to address the wrongs around you. We have a lawyer here today, right? Am I correct in saying this? You can be arrested for doing nothing wrong, being complicit in a crime. You know, you can, you can, you can be with the crowd and still get in trouble for being with the crowd. It's called being complicit, or perhaps some of us it's just complacency in our lives. And the last piece for me is this. To some of my, I'll use the words, more experienced Elijahs in the room. Who are you mentoring to take up the anointing in your absence? Church for all of us. 
Who are we looking at and saying, God, I, I want to be used so that the next person coming after me, man, I want the Elisha to do twice the things I do. And if we're not doing that as a church, then we are failing. And we will fail. And this culture will win. And God's people will be relegated to the background again. And it will be said of us, the people said nothing. We have to do something to stand up and to make a change in this world. And I pray today, and I want to close this by praying for more Elijahs to come. So will you join me in praying that prayer as we dismiss together today? Father, God, I I pray for specifically the task that is ahead of us. And I see the Ahabs, I see the Jezebels uh, around us in our culture, in this world. But God, I know that when we stand up for you, we overcome. It may not be easy. It may not be on our timeline. It may not be the way we want it to be done. But the principles are true. And they remain the same, that you are with us. And God, you are good. All the time, God. I pray specifically today, Lord, let our prayer be that we would rise up to take the mantle of leadership that Elijah passed to Elisha. Lord, would we take that same mantle of leadership and that same high calling and be willing to overcome, to stand up for what is right, God, to declare your truth. Father, not by our work, not by our power alone, but by your power in us. God, would we be even willing to go into kings and kingdoms? To go into courts across the land and to say, God, you are good and this is right. And your way will prevail. Give us your boldness. Give us your spirit, I pray. In Christ's mighty name. Amen. Amen. It is 1125. I'd encourage you to visit, hang out for a few minutes, get to know some people if you don't know any people here. And um, thank you for coming to Cornerstone Church today. I believe Pastor Mike is back next week. Yes, he is back in the saddle. So bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.